0: Hello and welcome to the Rethinking ADHD podcast. My name is Simon Mundy and I am your host. It is clear that ADHD is being talked about much more than ever before. We're hearing about increasing numbers of celebrities and high-profile people being diagnosed, often well into adulthood. But despite the increase in awareness of ADHD, there are still significant misconceptions about what it is, as well as the impact it can have on people's lives and what you can do about it. So this series aims to explore what ADHD is and how it presents itself, challenge some myths and misconceptions about it and outline ways to manage the condition and thrive with it. I'll be speaking to athletes, entrepreneurs, authors, doctors and a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist to hear about their experiences and find out how they learn to flourish while living with ADHD. I'm hosting this series on behalf of QB Tech, who are the leading provider of FDA cleared objective ADHD tests. In this episode, I am talking to Peter Shankman, the entrepreneur and author who founded the hugely successful platform Haro, which stands for help a reporter out. Haro connects journalists and bloggers with expert sources to enable journalists to hit their deadlines and brands to tell their stories. Peter struggled at school as a result of undiagnosed ADHD. Leaving him with feelings of shame and being broken. And so, receiving a diagnosis as an adult had a profound effect on him, as it does so many people. Peter's written several best selling books about learning to thrive with a faster brain, as he calls it, and is full of wisdom for anyone looking to learn more about ADHD. After our conversation, I'll also be speaking to an ADHD doctor who sheds some fascinating light on some of the topics and issues that arose during the course of my chat with Peter. I hope you enjoy listening. And just a heads up, this episode contains some adult language. Peter, how lovely to see you. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Great to have you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, Peter, I'd say you're quite hard to fit in a box. You've got many hats, many skills. I thought the New York Times put it well. They described you as a rock star who knows everything about social media and then some. Although that falls short because it completely overlooks your skydiving, your all other things. So how
1: would you describe yourself? It's a great question. Um you know, I'm someone who was always a little different, who never really fit in very well and who managed to figure that out at an early enough age where I was able to use it to my advantage and start doing good things with it. I was always the odd one out, I was always the weird one, I was always the strange kid and growing up I had two choices I could hate myself for that or I could use my strangeness to my advantage and and I think I took the I took the latter route and it seemed to go pretty well.
0: Let's quickly touch on some of those other things as well, because I think these are very relevant to how you've really adapted your neurodiversity, because you are, for example, a quantified skydiver. I mean, you've done hundreds of the things. You've run mega long triathlons, you've bought and sold companies, you've started up companies. In fact, on that basis, can you just talk to me about one that I particularly enjoy, which is uh,
1: Haro. yeah, Help a Reporter Out was created because of my ADHD. When I'm on a, a flight, when I'm on a plane, when I'm anywhere, I will know everything about the person next to me. It, it's it's just what I do. And so being on a plane, being wherever, constantly traveling for work, I meet a lot of people. And so my, my Rolodex got pretty big. And over time, people would say, you know, hey, reporters who knew me from the things I did in my life, Peter, you know everyone. I'm doing a story on whatever. Who do you know? Oh, I know. So it's a, and it started taking a lot of my time. And the the, the straw that the camel's back was a reporter call I got. Someone I didn't know from the Wall Street Journal said, "Hey, I'm doing a story on Nigerian farming." And a friend of mine at the New York Times said that you have a ton of of, of friends who are so, sub-Saharan soil experts. Oh yeah, of, uh, sure, of course. You know. <laughs> but P.S. I found a guy. Like 12 hours later, I found a guy. Uh, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend knew someone at USC in geology. Right. So. I, I'm like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And that's what the health, the idea for Help Reporter came up with. I launched it. It blew up almost instantaneously. Um, three years later, I sold it. We had, I was sending it about 1.2 million double opt in emails every single day uh, with a 70, 79% open rate on each email. So pretty insane. A small little text ad at the top was making a ton of money. It was acquired by PR Newswire. And, and yeah, it was. I got lucky. Busted my ass. But you know, what, what did Abraham Lincoln say? I'm a big believer in good fortune. I find the harder I work, the more of it I have, right? Sure.
0: That was one of your many successes. But just to go back again, in terms of feeling different, as you said, when you were growing up, could you describe how you internalized, let's say, the feedback you were getting from the world? Because having listened to a lot of your work, and something I've heard you say is that feeling of being broken. But I really related to that. So can you just tell me about how you felt at that time?
1: Growing up was difficult. Growing up was a lot of being told I was broken, being told I I didn't fit in, being told by teachers just to sit down in the back. Uh, you're not going to learn. Just sit down in the back and try not to interrupt the rest of the class. It was it was not easy. I had a really hard time believing in myself. You know, I, I really didn't believe that I was worth anything and that I could do anything. And um, it took years. Getting diagnosed was definitely beneficial, but... It took years of um, therapy and sort of understanding that I'm not broken. I'm simply different. And different is a good thing if you understand how to use it.
0: Which is a fundamental message you extol brilliantly, I think. And so is shame a word that you would use to
1: describe what it was? It was. Yes. Growing up, shame was definitely there. I think now... The only difference, the the shame that's there is me, every once in a while, I'll think back to a cringeworthy moment, but that part of me has definitely passed, and I realize why I was the way I was. I mean, a a perfect example, I was telling this to someone yesterday, um, when you're told you're broken all the time, and you're told that everything you do is pretty much wrong, it's very difficult to make friends, it's very difficult to be accepted into any social circles, because the first thing you want to do is prove to them that you're not broken and prove to them that you can do things right. And so it goes the complete opposite way without success. You go into this mode of, oh, hi, my name's Peter Shankman. I do this, this, and this. And look at me, I've done this, and I'm a skydiver, and I'm bringing books, and And it becomes the Peter Shankman show. And who the fuck wants to hang out with someone that's constantly talking about themselves? So it took years starting all the way on that side and then swinging all the way to that side, both sides of which sucked, to finally get to this middle ground where my social acuity improved past that of a tree frog. At the end of the day, I've learned that it's perfectly okay to sit back, just do my own thing, and the people who are supposed to be in my lives, who are meant to be in my lives, will be there.
0: Just talk to me about your diagnosis of ADHD. What led you to that point? Because growing up as you did in the late 70s into the 80s, this is not something that was well understood. Now the understanding is so much better, but I'm interested what led you to go down that path. You were 35 or so?
1: I was, and I, I'd always known that there was something different about me. I never had a name for it. And one day I'm in my therapist's office and he goes, hey, by the way, and I've seen this guy for years. He goes, by the way, when were you we diagnosed with ADHD? I'm like, what? He's like, ADHD, when were you diagnosed? I'm like, I was never diagnosed with ADHD. What are you talking about? He's like, you weren't? I'm like, no. He's like, you've really never been tested for ADHD. I'm like, no. And he's like, huh, you might want to get tested for ADHD. <laughs> and it was sort of like it was so blazingly clear to him that I was neurodiverse, and I guess it was to me too. I just never put two and two together, you know. And so I I, I took this exam with basically a hundred questions in this test, and anything over like twenty three questions is borderline for ADHD. I answered ninety seven percent of them correct, so I'm like, okay, yep, there you go, you know. And that was sort of an answer. And again, it wasn't something I didn't know, but now I had a name for it. Now I had an understanding of it. Now I could figure out. Do other people have this? What are they doing? And more importantly, I could start learning about the things that I could do. or the th- I could start learning about the things that I was doing unknowingly. I used to be a huge cigarette smoker. Why? Because it gives you dopamine. And then one day I discovered I had an employee who used to run and she said, you should run with me. I'm like, why? She's like, you're always complaining about wanting to lose 20 pounds. Running will do it. Okay, let's run. Ran my first mile, right? Nearly died, but then had this moment of, Oh my God, I feel so freaking good right now. And that was the dopamine. I'm like, wow. Okay. Running can do that. Great. Let's run more. Let's do a 5k. Let's do a 10k. Let's do a half marathon. Let's do a full marathon. Let's do a sprint triathlon. So I moved all the way up to Ironman triathlon. I took a hundred people skydiving. It's a publicity stunt. 99 of them had a great time. They loved it. One person said, Oh my God, I got to do that again. Let's get licensed. That was me. Um, it wasn't until I started exercising and then finally they get that diagnosis. I'm like, wow, a lot of things make a lot more sense now. Can you remember your feelings when
0: when it suddenly was like, oh, okay, yeah, this makes sense?
1: It didn't solve anything. It just made a few things make more sense. It made a few things become more clear. It, it allowed me to understand why I could start and sell a company, but my marriage was failing. It allowed me to figure out why I could... Um, Get on a plane for 12 hours and write 28,000 words between Newark and Tokyo and have half my book done, but couldn't finish the proposal for a client who wanted to pay me that was three weeks late. A lot of things just started to make sense. The more I read and the more I learned about it, the premise that, you know, this is how my brain works. If I want, if I love something, I will do it literally until I pass out. I literally wrote Faster Than Normal on two round trip flights to Asia. That's how the book was written. Everyone said after that, oh, you should write a kid's book. I said, yeah, that's a great idea. And then I ignored it for five years until I was on a plane earlier this year and in two hours wrote a kid's book. You know, and now it's, it's, it's out and through really well. It's those kind of things. It's those, I allowed myself to understand or I learned that it's not just procrastination. I'm not just lazy. I'm not just, you know, I learned why I started researching foods. There's a reason that, Grilled chicken, no matter how much you spice it up, doesn't have the same hit as a double Whopper with cheese. And the reason for that is because the food is literally engineered to give you a higher dopamine hit. Organic grilled chicken, while it has tons of protein, as an incredibly healthy food, is not. And, you know, I'd sit at home every night, You know, and this used to happen. And until I learned how to deal with it, I'd be like, okay, I had a great workout today. I'm going to go home, I'm going to make some healthy food. Oh, look, I just ordered a pizza, you know, and have no idea how I did that. And and once you learn what causes those triggers, you learn how to prevent them. Um, It's the same way I am with alcohol, which is why I'm very, very aware of my drinking and I rarely drink. Think about it for me It's it's not the first beer. It's never the first beer. You know, it's never the first drink. It's never the first anything. It's the second, third, fourth, fifth, and then all rules are out the window. For me, my issue is putting rules into play that I don't go there, that I don't have that first drink, that I don't, you know, or if I do, it's in a very controlled environment. I don't go to open bar parties anymore, industry parties, things like that. I don't bother doing any of that stuff. I basically have put rules into place in my life that allow me to utilize the best parts of my ADHD while minimizing the damaging parts. I have two sides to my closet and they're labeled office slash travel in t t-shirt and jeans, uh, TV slash speaking in their button-down shirts, jackets and jeans, and that's it. My suits, my vests, my sweaters, those are all in my daughter's closet because if I had to look in my closet every day and say, huh, what am I going to wear today? Oh, that vest. Oh my God, I remember that vest. Laura give me that vest. I wonder how she's doing. I should look her up. It's three hours later. I'm naked in the living room on Facebook. I haven't left the house. So you put these series of systems into play. I don't start my day unless I've exercised. I get up sometimes as early as 3.30 in the morning. I'm a single dad. I have a daughter who I got to get to school by 8 o'clock. So if I got to get her to school at 8 o'clock, I'll leave at 7.30. So I backtrack my life to the point where sometimes I'm up for 3.30 in the morning. I fall asleep the night before in a pair of bike shorts and and a t-shirt, so or bike shorts and socks so I can wake up, put my, my bike shoes on, get on my Peloton, do an hour and a half, do 20 miles, do 30 miles, and so I can I can get that dopamine hit that I need and be a better dad, be more aware, be more focused. And that'll last me for the entire day because if I have to figure out a way Oh, it's okay. I, I won't I won't get about sleeping, but I'll exercise tonight. Oh, well, you know I'm not gonna exercise tonight, right? I will come up with a hundred oh, there's a there's a new comet they found orbiting Pluto. You know what? Just to be safe, I should stay home. I'll always figure out a reason not to do it. So I sleep in my in my workout shorts, my socks, I get up, 12 seconds after my lights come on automatically and my shades go up, I'm on the bike. I've ridden the first ten minutes of a Peloton workout without it before I even open my eyes. But I'm done. I'm doing it, I'm done, I get it done. And once you're on the bike for five minutes, you're not gonna quit. So it's about figuring out and putting those rules into play that allow me to use my neurodiversity to the best of my ability.
0: Exactly. So that's the thing, isn't it? It's putting those things in place. It's knowing It's knowing what you can have and what you can't have. It's reducing
1: options. It, it, it's exactly about eliminating choice, 100%. I, I keep healthy food in the free, in, in the house because if I don't have healthy food in, I won't eat healthy food, right? I, and I had to deal with this when my daughter, when I, when I first got divorced and my daughter was like three years old, uh, two years old, she started spending all this time with me. Three years old, we'd go for pizza, right? And Or we'd order a pizza in. She'd have that. I want pizza. Okay, let's order a pizza in. She'd have half a slice and have seven and a half slices, right? So we don't do that anymore. We go to the pizza place a block away. She orders a slice. I order a slice. That's it. We leave, right? There's not seven slices of pizza. I call it 2 a.m. pizza. Pizza's never eaten normally. Pizza's eaten at two in the morning. A
0: lot of people listening will be able to resonate to what we're talking about that inability perhaps to not go overboard with certain things. Another one for me is I have a lock case for my mobile phone and I will literally put it in there for hours at a time. So it's putting all these barriers in. So for people who resonate with what we're talking about here, what advice would you have for them to be able to do something similar to what you do?
1: First thing is to understand what's going on with your life. First thing is to understand that your brain might be a little different and that's okay, that's actually a good thing. As long as you know how to use it, that's actually a good thing. I am a huge fan of having a different brain. When my daughter came home, she was like five. Daddy, someone someone in school, a friend in school called me weird. I'm like, awesome. She's like, why? I'm like, well, weird is a side effect of awesome. I'm like, if you're weird, that means you're awesome. It means you're awesome. And the awesome is, you know, the weirdest. Center. Oh, she looked at it totally differently. And I believe that forever. I really believe that. Weird is a side effect of awesome. So the first thing I'd say is you're not different. You're not broken. You are gifted. You are a a you have a different brain, and if the universe did not have different brains, if the world did not have different brains, we would never have succeed, uh, never have survived as a society. You got to remember also that the brain has spent millions and millions of years evolving, and the majority of that evolution has been up to about eight hundred years ago has been run around really fast till you catch food, then eat it, then sleep until you get hungry again, then run around and catch food really really fast. 800, 1200 years ago, we discovered farming. That pretty much changed everything. Now, sit in your ass until you're hungry, then eat something from your garden, then go sit in your ass until you're hungry. It is very hard to reconcile a brain that has spent billions of years or millions of years being evolved to have these sudden dopamine hits, which allow you to get that food so you can live, to, oh, I'll just go to McDonald's, or I'll just go to 7-Eleven, or I'll just walk down the street and buy a pizza. So... Some people have evolved because they're easier to train than people with neurodiverse brains. People with neurodiverse brains, we still think, you know, there's hunters and there's gatherers, and we are still hunters, very much so. So I have learned, you'll learn to do things that allow you to fill that hunting brain, whether that's exercise, whether that's skydiving, whether that's running, whether it's public speaking. If you look at my life from a 50,000 foot view, every single thing I'm really into, either for fun or that's made me money, has been a dopamine hit.
0: Yeah. And I just want to come back to some of the strategies you use. You talk about reducing choice. So whether it be your clothes, the food, we've touched on that. The exercise I find really interesting. So literally every morning, you're up, you're on the peloton. As you said, you sleep in your gym kit. And one of your acts I really like, before you go into a meeting, if you don't feel like it's going to be one that is going to naturally engage you to the utmost, you'll drop and do 30 press-ups or 30 star jumps.
1: Yeah. Or I'll run up a few flights of stairs or just do something. You put those kind of things into your brain and figure out sort of how to benefit yourself and how what you can do to grab the good and sort of leave the bad in it. Look, it doesn't always work. Of course. Okay. okay. <laughs> it is not perfect. I'm not perfect. I screw up on a regular basis. But the key is to understand the key is twofold to understand the screw up and learn from it. So you may not make it the next time. And more importantly, to not let it become more than just one screw up. My daughter would come home. I had a terrible day. Well, what happened? Well, this happened with my friend. Okay, that sounds like it took about three minutes. Yeah. So did you have a terrible day or did you have a terrible three minutes that you're now milking into an entire day? Right? And that's the question that we always have because, again, that's why I exercise in the morning. I skip one day. You know, let's say I do go out drinking one night and and I have too many and I come home and I feel like crap. Well, the next morning, I'm not waking up at 4 a.m. and getting on the bike. I'm waking up late. Well, screw it. I, I screwed up. Now I'm up late. I might as well uh, just order a couple of bacon, egg, and cheese sandwiches because I'm obviously it'll help, the oil will help get the alcohol out. Uh, well, all right. Now it's 4 p.m. I pretty much spent the entire day on the couch. I'm obviously not going to do anything. Let me just get a pizza and, and I'll start working out again tomorrow. I wake up the next morning. Oh God, I never should have that pizza. I feel like crap. Let me just give it one more day. It's three weeks later. I've gained 10 pounds. Yeah. Right. All because I decided to have a drink. So you 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 learn where these come from.
0: It's keeping an eye out for those mini red flags. I want to talk about a couple of your other strategies. I'm on your email little group and you sent out some fascinating content. One was around delegation, which again, tickled me where you were due to give a talk and you rocked up at the airport and had a bit of a swagger because you'd been hired. I think you were planning to go to Shanghai or something like that. And uh, and, well, why don't you finish the story? I know you know the one I'm in.
1: Yeah, it was my first my first international business trip back in two thousand three, I uh, or two thousand seven. I got hired to go to uh, to give a speech in Singapore, and I was just totally stoked, and I was over the top, and I was so thrilled. My first time overseas, they're paying for it, they're paying me. This is amazing. I bought the ticket like two months in advance. Um, go to the airport, go to check in. The desk agent's like, "Okay, where are you going?" And I'm like, "Going to Singapore." I'm so excited. It's my speech. Like she could have cared. And uh, she looks at my tip, pulls my name, looks at my ticket, looks at my passport. She's like, You're going to Singapore yep so you booked a ticket to shanghai <laughs> and i said oh well are they close can i rent a car <laughs> she said, sir they're about three thousand miles away and most of that's over water would you like me to price you a new ticket before i even got on the plane giving the speech had cost me an extra six hundred dollars so i lost all the money i made from it. I lost it so i came back to new york and i i after my speech and i hired i hired megan who's still with me to this day <laughs> one of the things about Megan is that she is very very aware of how my brain works and so she does things for me that prevent me from getting these situations I don't have right access to my calendar she took write access to my calendar away 10 years ago probably more to the point where and the reason she did it was because she said that I, I went to book something I was like it didn't work she's I'm like Megan some moment there she's like no it works perfectly I took your I got rid of your write access I'm like that's not very nice of you and she goes, Peter, you booked two dinners on the same night. You booked them on separate continents. You're done. And since that day, I've not been al- But it works because, you know, you want to book this interview with me. You give me the time. Chance to i say, OK, that sounds perfect. Oh, what's the dog doing? Let me go look. And I forget to put it in the calendar. And now I have three things in that same day booked. OK, one more of your,
0: your hacks, or not so much a hack, actually, as a trait that you've manage to really use to your benefit is the hyper focus. So you touched on it earlier in terms of writing your books and Tokyo, I think it was, you flew there, you've already touched on this 14 hours there, little stopover, quick shower, same seat on the plane on the way back. You use that ability to zero in and you literally wrote a book and that wasn't an
1: accident. That was planned. It was hundred percent planned. I had a year to write the book, I did all the research in the first 40 days. Then forgot about doing that. Then my publisher calls me and she goes, um, hey, how's the book? I'm like, great, totally fine, almost done. and not written a word. I hung up the phone, called United, booked a round trip flight in business class from Newark to Tokyo, leaving the next day. I brought my laptop, a power cord, a sweatshirt, and my headphones. I wrote chapters one through five of the flight out, landed, went through immigration. No, no, didn't go through immigration. Went to the lounge, took a shower, had a cup of coffee, got back on a piece of sushi, got back on the same flight, same seat, two hours later, wrote chapters six through 10 on the flight home and landed with a book. And then I got detained by Homeland Security for four hours because I never actually cleared immigration in Asia. And they had a severe issue with that. But at the end of the day, everyone's like, oh my God, you spent $5,000 to go nowhere. I said, no, I spent $5,000 to write a book. And that to me is exactly what someone like me needs to do because it works.
0: That shows, doesn't it, that doing things differently for people who are you know, neurodiverse can be exactly what's called for.
1: Well, and I'm taking it a step further. The reason for that is because we've all been told this is the way you do things, right? You have to do it this way. This is the way it's always been done. Says who? The reason that we keep kids lined up in classrooms in seats that are one after the other after the other is because it's from 100 years ago when there were only one-room schoolhouses and the only way we could fit people in said schoolhouses were in these rows to fit as many people as possible, right? And now, you know, we have this opportunity to do things differently. Why don't we?
0: And I'm glad you've touched on school there because just remind me the title of your latest book, The Boy with the Faster You're Brain. Faster Brain, yep. Faster has been a word that features in your podcast and a lot of your books, but really trying to drill this message so that young people don't feel broken in the way that you did. Yep. And I think that that is such a lovely message. So how passionate are you about that in terms of being able to impact the younger generation so that they perhaps have that acceptance at an earlier age?
1: That is an entire goal of mine. I It's funny. I charge a ridiculous amount to speak to corporations, but I will speak to schools for anywhere in the world for free. Buy a couple of books, fly me there, whatever. And I will, I will gladly speak for free because if I can make one kid Understand that they're gifted, not broken, and then save them thirty years of therapy trying to undo that damage. It's worth every penny.
0: Well, that's a beautiful message. Quick question: Which of the, let's say, ADHD core traits—so you know, impulsivity, inattentiveness, etc.—which do you think is the one that is the most prevalent for you? From hearing you speak of it, sounds like impulsivity.
1: Impulsivity, yeah, probably impulsivity. Um, it's one of those things where I pretty much know how I am. And the way I act, and I posted an Instagram on my on my on my Instagram page on at Peter Shankman last week about what ADHD is, and it's the perfect example. If you look at the side of my hair, you see it's slightly greenish blue, and the reason for that is because I decided to clean my bathroom one morning, and the first thing I see when I'm cleaning my bathroom under the cabinets is this package of hair dye that I bought during COVID, red and blue. I used the red during COVID, and I for, totally forgot about the blue. I'm like, oh my god, why? Wonder? And 20 minutes later, my hair was blue, and the bathroom was still dirty. So that's ADHD. It's the premise that sometimes we absolutely, positively, 100% intend to do something without fail
0: and we don't do it. You've spoken about some of the key things that, you know, to put in place. and But first and foremost, it comes down, does it not, to understanding the
1: kind of brain you've got. That's step one. 100%. 100%. Because at the end of the day, If you don't understand how your brain works, how can you do anything else? How can you help anyone? How can you do anything else? So for me, it really comes down to understanding my world and how my world works and what I can do to improve that, what I can do to make sure that I'm doing the right things. Um, It shouldn't be harder than that. I think we make it harder than that. We shouldn't have to. I think change scares a lot of people. The greatest line I ever heard about ADHD, one of them came from Seth Godin when I had him on my podcast. And Seth said, the thing about ADHD is that you constantly have to be moving forward. And even if you're just standing still, it feels like you're going backwards. And I've never heard something strike me so damn true. You have to understand how that works. And you have to take the appropriate measures to make sure that you don't feel like you're going backwards. Because when you don't feel like you're going backwards, that's when the bad things happen. Last couple of
0: things, Peter. You talk about change how happy are you with the changes that we are seeing in terms of an understanding about neurodiversity and ADHD specifically? And obviously you've played a key role and a big role in that. How happy does that make you to see the advances
1: that have been made? Well, first of all, thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, I think that um, I am happy with the changes that are being made. I don't think they're being made fast enough, but then again, I'm ADHD, so nothing's fast enough. I think that, just the fact that we're starting to see kids who are labeled ADHD embrace that. You know, when I was growing up, no one talked about mental health. Imagine growing up your entire life, your entire first half of your life, without having the basic chemistry of your brain that everyone else has. And add to that, that lack of chemistry gets you in trouble and gets you sent to the principal's office and gets you, you know loses friends, and, and you're lonely, and you're alone. And the fact that we can talk about this now, and I gave a speech to a, to a junior high school, and this fifth grader came up to me, and I can't, I could never say this without crying Every time I think about this, I, this fifth grader came to me after my talk, and he, his head was down, he wouldn't look at me, and he goes, you're the first successful person I've ever heard who's like me. And, and I just lost it, right? I mean, we're talking to these kids now, and these, these are when I was growing up, I didn't have that. I, I don't know how I got through. I did. Somehow I had wonderful parents and they supported me and they helped me. But Jesus Christ, I mean, I wouldn't wish the shit I went through on anyone. And and the fact that we're talking about it now and the fact that we can look at it as as not as just this, oh, he belongs in an asylum. You know, in the, in the 1800s, people would get sick and we put leeches on their body because we assumed their blood was bad. And if we just take out the blood, the body will make them. Well, all we want to do is kill him, And then we discovered penicillin and that sort of changed a lot of things. So the fact that we're discovering the penicillin for the neurodiverse age, I thank God for that every day. I hope we keep doing it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a, a really beautiful story and I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And uh, just the last thing, Peter, obviously, you know, there's faster than normal. There's the boy with the faster brain. There's your podcast, everything like that. If you had to share one thing that you've learned from your ADHD journey, from your books, from your podcasts, I'm on your email list, and there's all sorts of good stuff coming through all the time, what would it be?
1: If you don't like where you are, whether that's mentally, physically, metaphysically, whatever, move. You're not a tree. We have the ability to, every morning, we can wake up and say, this is not how my story ends. And... It's difficult. Not going to deny that at all, but it is. But the freedom that comes with realizing that you are, in fact, free. And that if you don't like the people around you, you have the ability to change the people around you is game changing. And so, what would I want everyone to know? I'd want them to know that if you've been told once or a million times that there's something wrong with you, if you decide. That your different brain is actually a benefit or you learn that it can be embrace that and do everything you can to better yourself not to be like everyone else but to use your faster brain for good if everyone else in the world has a honda and you're given a lamborghini but you only drive it like you drive a honda you're not going to have a good time learn to drive the lamborghini like it's a lamborghini you're gonna win every race
0: that's a beautiful message peter You've got so many good resources, so many good books. Where's a good starting point for people?
1: Um, I am at Peter Shankman everywhere except Twitter. I quit Twitter several months ago because I just can't anymore with them. But I'm on Threads. I'm on I'm on Blue Sky. I'm I'm My email is peter at shankman.com. My website is shankman.com. Fasterthannormal.com is the podcast. I answer every email personally. I'm not allowed to use my calendar, but I answer every email personally. So by all means, uh, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to chat.
0: Well, listen... Peter, it really has been a joy chatting. You're funny, you're engaging, and I've got so much value, even in the short time I've been on your email list. So just very grateful to you. Thanks a lot. And for spending this time with me,
1: it's been lovely. Pleasure was mine. Thank you so much. Really great time, Simon.
0: Dr. Shayet, Sarah, thank you for joining me. So Peter Shankman, I know you've listened to my conversation with him. Something that... I found really impactful about what he said was that sense of feeling broken, of not fitting in, of struggling on that front. How common do you think feelings like that are?
2: I think that the word broken was an incredibly sad word. And unfortunately, people with ADHD all too often feel broken. You know, on a positive note, now there is the internet and people who have these feelings can find and support each other and maybe... Sort of start to realize that they're not really broken and that the differences that they may have, they can use to their advantage. But it's very important for them to also realize that they need to work harder in some senses, but that's okay. We all feel different sometimes. The people who are going to succeed are the people who take that feeling and say, okay, this is what I want for myself. And they find a new and different way to do that. And it's not an accident that many people with ADHD do have entrepreneurial qualities that they can really use to their advantage.
0: In terms of those entrepreneurial qualities that Peter Shankman in particular clearly demonstrates, how much of a link do you think there is, let's say, with the ADHD brain?
2: I think that once Peter Shankman was able to believe in in himself... He could then take the extra energy that he may have from the ADHD. He could then take the new way of looking at things because the old way is boring and he's driven to do a new way of doing things. And he could put all these things together and be super successful. There are many super successful people who believe that they would not be that way without their ADHD. Lack of impulse control, is a feature of adhd for many so they they do things without thinking guess what if you overthink things all the time you'll never do anything and so um it's one of those things where the positives of the adhd can often make up for the negatives but you absolutely have to be able to develop a belief in yourself for that to happen
0: another thing i found interesting and valuable from what peter spoke about was The systems that he's put in place to help him, for example, getting up early and making sure that he exercises to get that dopamine flowing, reducing his choice. He's only got a certain number of outfits that he uses. And it really seemed to me that he may not have known what he was doing in the first instance when he was putting these in place, but they were so effective. And actually, anyone with ADHD might benefit from considering their own type of these things.
2: That's right. And if Peter Shankman can think of it, maybe you can too. I loved what he said about making things work for his brain. And we can all do that. Thinking about things the same old way means that you do the same old things all the time. And ADHD may be excellent at thinking about new ways of doing things. That may be their superpower. When I talk to patients, part of the Thing that I do for them as I frame the issue, like, do you see there's a pattern, you're always late, but I always ask them, how are you going to fix that? And you can ask anybody that, you know, from about five years older, but um, how are you going to do that? If you have an ADHD or who can develop that mindset, then that person is more likely to do that thing because they have ownership. They're like, huh, how am I going to do that? Maybe instead of leaving my lunchbox on the table, I will tape it to the door. And wouldn't that be funny? I'll I'll never forget it that way. And I thought of a new way of doing things. People will develop pride in their ability to think of new and different ways of doing things. And that will be a very valuable lesson. for them.
0: He's obviously very passionate about trying to help other young people not feel as he did. The landscapes obviously changed a lot. When it comes to ADHD, when it comes to the internet, when it comes to social media now compared to when Peter was at school, are there pros and cons to the change?
2: Yes, there are definitely both pros and cons, I think, of the internet community. And it will be interesting to see in the future the effect of this. So if you are a kid who feels broken these days, you might hop on Instagram or Reddit or YouTube or whatever, and find your community. Find other people who are accepting of you. You feel less rejected. You might find a community that helps you understand you. You know, of course, there can be some self-diagnosis that is wrong because nobody can be objective about their own selves. And, you know, sometimes symptoms of depression or anxiety or ADHD can overlap. Um, So it's important to not only get your information from the internet, but having a diagnosis of ADHD is now much more socially acceptable than it used to be. And so I hope that the feelings of broken are less common over time and that people understand the beauty of differences in the way people think. Dr. Chayette, an absolute pleasure talking
0: to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rethinking ADHD podcast. If you have any questions, please do get in touch. I'm at Simon Mundy on social media or head to the QB Tech website. Links are in the show notes. In the next episode, I'm speaking to the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Catherine Ellison, who is also a renowned speaker, speech writer for clients, including Bill Gates and major Silicon Valley investors, and a prolific author who's written books on living and parenting with ADHD. Until then, thanks for listening. And goodbye.